The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, welcome back to Hollinger and Duncan. We're going to talk NBA coaches. First time we've talked about this in about a year or so. And a lot of movement, a lot of new coaches to talk about. Really looking forward to this. But more importantly, John, I have to let you know that I finally think I understand what it's like to be you from a caffeine perspective. Because about a half hour before I started this, Mm -hmm. I tried some uh, Yerba Mate. Do you know what that is? So I've heard the name, but I actually don't know what it is. So I tried it when I was in Uruguay about three years ago for my cousin's wedding. And it's it's a tea-like substance. I think it's not the exact same as tea, but you kind of drink it loosely. If you pour hot water into basically a gourd that's filled up with these leaves, and okay. then you use like a filtered straw to drink it. And I really enjoyed it when I was there. Um, unfortunately, I may have had a little bit more than I was intending to. <laughs> interesting so so if you hear like a repeated jittering or banging of me just like you know shaking against my chair that's probably the reason but you know i'm still probably half the amount of caffeine that's normally just coursing through your bloodstream (laughs) right my just like my baseline level yeah (laughs) all right let's talk first here on these coaches this we talk about this every year but i think it's important to go over the criteria of just how one even evaluates a coach to begin with? Yeah, I think you're looking at a few different things. Um, we tend to focus on the thing that is readily available to us, the availability bias, right? Which is decisions in the last two minutes of close games and or personnel selection. Should have played that guy instead of this guy. And that's a subset of coaching at the very best. A couple of the things that tend to really matter are Motivation ability. Can he get the team to consistently play hard for him? Preparation. Is is the team, scheme-wise, consistently ready for their opposition? Prepared to take away what the other team does best? Prepared to attack what the other team is worst at? You see that uh, a lot in the playoffs, too. The playoffs are almost like a completely different category because there's there's a different coaching style to the regular season than to the playoffs where, like, there, there is a subset of coaches, and we'll talk about them, who are very consistent within a season, but then they get to the postseason and that consistency becomes a weakness because they don't change anything. Uh, so that's a fine line. Player development is a big part of it. Can you help your own players improve and get better? I still that pull that mostly under the heading of, of head coach. I mean, some organizations clearly have invested more and become better at it than others, but at the end of the day, the coach is the one who's there with, in practice every day with everyone. So that's that's got to be on him. 
Yeah, I, those obviously come to mind. And also, you know, I think there are some play, some uh, coaches that I would much rather have in the playoffs, but are you know not really that great in, in the regular season. We'll talk about a few of those. I mean, the number one thing for me that I look at is just my perception of their talent versus what the actual results are and that can be maybe a little bit more of a regular season thing it's harder i think to exceed your talent level in the playoffs when everyone is playing hard when everyone is prepared etc um so i mean that that's the number one thing i look at is just are you outperforming your talent and that of course can be nebulous as well just how much of it is the talent how much is the coach getting the talent to improve could I just have been wrong about the players to begin with when rating them lower and then giving credit for the coach as opposed to just the players were better than we thought yeah. all along? But it, that's one. You mentioned player development. Just whether the lineups make sense, whether the player usage makes sense, looking at the offensive and defensive systems. And again, I mean, I think coaches probably have a little bit more of an effect on defense than they do on offense because you know, you could put guys in position to succeed, but if they're not going to make the shots, they're not going to make the shots, right? So I, I, would you agree with me on that, that you look a little bit more towards defense than offense when evaluating Gen- coaching? Generally, yeah, because we've, we, because we've seen it. We've seen where coaching can impact a team on the defensive end, and it's just so much harder on offense. That There are things coaches can do scheme-wise or even, you know, there are risk-reward type calculations like, well, if I send guys to the board – our offense will be better. Our defense will be worse. Am, am I a better coach? Like, no, it probably all came out in the wash. So th- there's definitely, definitely other variables. But as a kind of baseline, the better coaches are going to have good defensive results. No, I think that that makes sense to me as well. Um, obviously, if there are reports of locker room disharmony, that's going to be a negative. Uh, inability to adjust in the playoffs. Uh, we talked about that as well. Um, and then I think the last thing too is it. It's not just you know, a linear coach X is good, coach Y is bad. They have different strengths and weaknesses, and you have to acknowledge that and value those things that some coaches are good for some teams, some coaches are better for other teams. Absolutely. I, I think that doesn't get maybe enough play that like fit matters for coaches just like it matters for players. No, for, for sure. And so the coaches that I – I mean, this has been a common theme as well for when we've ranked players – that to me winning at the highest levels winning in the playoffs that's the number one most important thing as i'm looking at this basically my criterion is who would i want coaching my favorite team you know which could be any team right it could be a random team right now for the next four years and so this is not necessarily the same as the coach of the year award you know the best regular season coach this is over a four-year period where all of the league's coaches are free agents i'm the gm of a team and I'm going to sign this guy to the standard four-year coaching deal. Who would I want first for the average team or the random team? And But also, since I generally want my team to do well in the playoffs, I don't really care that much about taking a team from 25 to 32 wins. I'm going to bias more towards the, the coaches that have proved it at the highest levels, although I certainly don't discount regular season as well. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think there's, it's funny because when I was making my list, like there's a pretty clear dividing line on on the playoff question and we'll we'll get yeah. to that. Yeah, and particularly with all the new coaches as well this season. So let's, I think the other thing we can say too is at least for me, I imagine you did it as well since we usually do, tried to put these coaches into tiers and yes. say, hey, you know what? I couldn't split hairs between these guys. You have to rank them, but 
hey, you know what? There's just as good of an argument that another coach in this tier could be ahead of this coach. And and even more so than with players where we have all these statistics, it's just extremely subjective with coaches. So now if you're, if you want to come at us uh, on Twitter or whatever, I'd say, hey, this coach is way better than this coach. Like, how could you have it in a bottom tier? Okay, that's reasonable. If they're in the same tier, give us a break. This stuff is pretty hard. So let's start, uh, John, with you. Who's the best coach in the NBA? All right. So I had a top tier with the four guys in it, but okay. I think this guy right now is the number one guy. Has he won a championship? Yes. Has he had multiple examples of overachieving teams? Yes. Do his teams play defense? Yes. Is there a track record of player development? Yes. Uh, are his late game X's and O's generally pretty good? Yes. I, th- I think he. Che- you go through the questions we just asked. I think he absolutely checks every single box in pretty emphatic ways. And that is Eric Spolstra. He was my number one as well. A, a surprise inclusion for some on the 15 best coaches of all time list. But it's actually surprising to me as I went through that list. I, I think there were some egregious omissions and inclusions Correct. on that. You know, like like Alex Hannum, like absolutely should have been on that list. He was maybe the best coach from a scheme standpoint of the first 25 years or so of the yes. league. And there, there are some other coaches that won championships, but maybe weren't entirely responsible for for that but in any event yeah eric spolster i think it's reasonable for him to be on there and he's done it with all types of teams his teams never disappoint they always i think exceed their talent level you know there was that team that had nobody on it i think it was 16 17 that still won 41 games after they started 11 and 30 they went 30 and 11 the rest of the way you mentioned the player development they've got i think consistently one of the most innovative approaches on both ends of the floor schematically i i think there's really are there any weaknesses for eric spolstra so the weakness that was there that is no longer there is the heat were famous for running their players into the ground and they've really dialed back on that no that's true i mean even in the 1920 season when they first got jimmy butler they really didn't play him that they were playing him you know like 31 32 minutes a game during the regular season and and even in the the first couple rounds of the playoffs they did that then they had to ramp it up when they had all the injuries but yeah i think spo the his performance in the 2020 bubble was really impressive i mean maybe you, you could ding him a little bit for their total non-compete against the bucks in the first round last year but i thought that was really more of a his two best players just didn't perform in, in that series but you could say hey they never really found a way to beat the Bucks, drop coverage with Brooke Lopez. That's a reasonable argument, I would say. But obviously, no coach is going to be perfect. And when you consider Spoh's track record and particularly the player development and just over a long period of time, right? I mean, there are a lot of coaches that can be darlings early on in their career. So, But if you've been consistently successful for now a 15-season period, I think that deserves a lot of weight as well. I completely agree. And we'll get into that. I mean, it gets hard when you're trying to evaluate kind of these first and second year coaches. And and we'll get into that as we go along. I think there's one guy in particular that we have some <laughs> very interesting case to deal with. Um, but you you because you don't know there there are some coaches who are renowned for getting a pop in year one, but then it doesn't they don't have staying power. Uh, who, and, whoever could you be talking about? Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets 
from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style so level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com and use the code per easy to remember because john and benedict use per to get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that per code to let them know you came from us who else in this group for you you said you had four in this top group yeah so the guy i had at number two really similar to spolstra in terms of has won a championship has uh shown progress with player development probably the most innovative coach in the league in terms of changing things up in a playoff series and and throwing different looks at to wrong foot teams uh and that is teron Lou. wow i mean really the only thing he's missing is longevity i think we're going to disagree on him i i had him in the next group okay and i think he got a lot of credit for some of the stuff that they did last year but can we also say that maybe he just some of the, I, I mean, I felt at least that some of the things he did in the Dallas series and in the Utah series were like things that he should have just been doing at the start of the series. So they just, yeah, it's great that he kept his team in it emotionally and he did make a, a bunch of changes, but like they were down to zero at the start of both of those series. And I thought it was because he didn't get to the right stuff quickly enough. Now, certainly mm-hmm. going with those small groups uh, and uh, was pre-revolutionary i mean i think he also i I would say he got out coached by rick carlisle in that first round series last year yes they won it but like rick carlisle went to that crazy zone and played bobon and porzingis together and like rick carlisle just stole game five in that series to put him down three two and then it took one of the great playoff games of all time for Kawhi to bring it back to a, a game seven finally so i think he's a very very good coach and i think he is a good playoff coach but I thought his playoff coaching last year was a little bit overrated. I also thought that he was a little too wedded to the centers in the Phoenix series as well. Granted, they had some injuries like Marcus Morris was kind of injured. So maybe they just couldn't get to those small lineups again. But I think he was too worried about DeAndre Ayton and, and then they couldn't score in that Phoenix series because they were playing a center all the time. So I, I think he was he's a very, very good coach. Certainly superior to the man he replaced, Doc Rivers, and particularly in the playoffs. And he's done a good job this year. I wouldn't say the best job, but a very solid job this year with the their defense. I'm just not as much of a believer of him overall, uh, maybe as some people are. Wow. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, is that uh, what's your reaction? That you think uh, am I being too hard on him? I I just I think he's very good. I there are just a few coaches I'd probably rather have. Than. So I I think you do make a good point that he he could have adjusted more quickly than he did in those playoff rounds last year. I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and, you know, these are things that I was saying as they're going down 2-0 in both series, and then he changed to changed up and was able to, they're able to get back into it. And again, I think, I mean, I think 
in terms of just as a communicator dealing with superstars dealing with drama he might be number one there for me um you know the player development i the clippers have had some successes there uh, under him but i again not as long of a track record i would say as some certainly in cleveland they weren't really able to do any of that at all uh, so yeah again very very good coach i just not quite in the top group okay for me so who is um, who is your number two monty williams okay i i had him third yeah and this will be interesting too we'll talk we're probably gonna have to take two parts in this but we'll talk about some of the coaches that really rose and fell and you know i thought this time last year phoenix was really exceeding expectations they would go on to be the two seed but we wondered if he, he could do a good job in the playoffs and yes phoenix had a little bit easier of a path last year but i'm just very impressed with what monty williams has done ever since he got to phoenix even that first year putting this team among the league leaders in assists and then going to a completely different approach when Chris Paul got there, working really well with Chris Paul, Devin, getting DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker to defend in a way that they never had. And this team is one of the best clutch teams. Again, Chris Paul has a, a big part to do with that. Just randomly hot mid-range shot making from Paul and Booker, even though those guys are great. They're you know, not 75% true shooting great for mid-range necessarily. Yes, but of course. It, so. But still, I mean, they've outperformed in the clutch. I didn't really have any major problems with his playoff coaching last year, other than that maybe they should have brought some more help on Giannis than they did in the end. But they only had one guy, personnel-wise, who could guard him. So I, I think the only thing missing is, you know, he wasn't that good in New Orleans. That'll be another theme, too, of guys who are doing a better job in later stops than they did earlier. Yes. Uh, showing that guys can improve. but. And obviously, from a, a personal standpoint, a locker room harmony standpoint, impeccable credentials there. With without a doubt, I mean the the story that doesn't get enough attention, I think, is him getting Booker and Aiton to play the level of defense that they've been playing, because uh, th- that that has really been a game changer for Phoenix. The uh, the one thing you'd maybe say with Monty, uh, obviously, doesn't have quite the extensive track record as some of the other guys we're going to talk about in this tier. And then it's almost been kind of easy in Phoenix so far. Like he's never had that stretch of, oh, we have to go through a month and we're playing with G League guys and, you know, where he has to, where he has to really pull something out of his ass. We haven't really seen that yet. Yeah. They haven't had difficulties from a health perspective. Um, you know, maybe I, I'm very interested to see how they play down the end here, although they're still, they're so far ahead of everyone else. They're not going to have a ton of pressure anyway. All right. Who else is in this group for you? Uh, the other guy I had at the back end of this group is Nick Nurse. Uh, I think he's a, he's an innovator. He has a strong player development track record. He's clearly gotten all his key players to buy in. I just, the, the 47 minutes a game thing is getting to be a bit much for me. I, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I, the, the, that one's bothering me. Uh, so yeah, well, I, it seems to be bothering Fred Van Vliet too. He's, he's out with a, a sore knee. Yeah. Um, imagine that. Yeah. It, it, that's, that's been a little bit weird. I mean, obviously they didn't compete at all down the end of last year. I mean, I, in some ways I almost appreciate him being in harmony with the front office on that. You know, he's not pulling a Tom Thibodeau and be like, no, I have to win every single game. And he's got some pretty good job security. He got a nice extension. Um, I would say actually he's probably the more most innovative coach, even more so than Ty Lue. And while 
Some other teams have kind of caught up to his tricks a little bit just by using them. You know, he's still doing a lot of interesting stuff this year with a Toronto team that basically has no guards other than Fred Van Vliet. He's he's definitely the most willing to try stuff. I think Toronto has outperformed this year. Some of the stuff they're doing with offensive rebounding, still having a good transition defense. I agree with you. They may be starting to wear down a little bit recently, and, and they've had some kind of disturbing blowouts of late where they've looked really tired. And But again, another guy, great player development, like what they've done with Scotty Barnes, the way they've empowered him has been really good. That's helped a lot. OG Ananobi, a lot of the guys that they brought in, I mean, Pascal Siakam, he's been a part of him getting to a near all-star level. Fred Van Vliet, another great development story. So Nurse, other than this minutes thing, I really don't think that he has many weaknesses. And, you know, we'll see, right? There's still a, maybe there's an argument that coaches don't play guys enough minutes at times that you should be willing to extend guys at times, but also, you know, maybe he is kind of burning these guys out a little bit too. Right. So I, I, I mean, I, I, maybe it's unfair to like crap on Tom Thibodeau for doing it and not crap on Nick Nurse. I just believe there's a little bit more of a, a process there than in Toronto. It's also done a pretty good job with sports science and injuries and stuff. So I, I'm willing to give him a little bit more benefit of the doubt, but it's hard. You got to ding him for this a little bit at least. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I hope there's more of a process going on here. You would think there would be right. Like Toronto's a well-run team. Like you said, they invest a bunch in sports science. So I hope this isn't just nurse being like, no, just screw it. I'm just going to play these guys 43 minutes. Okay. So that's three here. Um, oh yeah. So that, that's your entire, your entire four. I, I only had Spolstra Williams and nurse in that order in my top tier. I had Ty Lue number five overall in the second group of pretty much all coaches who have achieved some playoff success, also pretty good in the regular season, might have a few weaknesses. There's one coach who hasn't experienced much playoff success yet that I, I have in this group. But uh, why don't you give me your number five coach as you get down into the second group? I went with Steve Kerr here. Um, I I guess I feel like he's gotten his fastball back this year a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. They've you're, upgraded you're cl- the staff too. I mean, that's the other thing we didn't talk about in the open of just hey, like the, we're saying coach rankings, but this is we're almost really ranking staffs to some degree here. And I think that he's gotten a lot of help from Kenny Atkinson and some of the player development guys that, that they brought in. But he, he's obviously willing to have those guys on the staff and listen to them, which he deserves credit for. Yeah, uh, you know, he's able to like coaching Draymond Green isn't necessarily easy, even though like he's a freaking <laughs> genius. So that helps. Right. But like he's got opinions. Right. And j- like just managing that whole dynamic, like coaching superstars in general is is harder than than coaching non superstars because they have they they have a lot of juice and a lot of clout and they're going to have a, they're going to feel more willing to express their opinion both in a in direct ways and in indirect ways so you know be, because of that i guess i i award extra points for being able to deal with that and and deal with that over a period of years and still maintain that uh respect and harmony yeah and you know, I do think Steve has a few blind spots. I actually had him at the top of this second group as well. But generally, I think he's done a pretty good job. He's playoff tested. He's won three championships. And while this we're looking at the Warriors in a slide right now, they also, I think they're 29-6 and six when Draymond Green plays this year. And that that uh, they've gotten contributions for a lot of guys further down the roster. I, I think they're going to be okay once Draymond comes back, if he does come back. 
he's had to navigate basically only having one traditional big man available on the roster, which has started to hurt them a little bit lately. But I mean, they, they've really gotten contributions up and down the roster. He believes in that. He believes in playing guys. They've developed guys a lot. And it's certainly one of the better emotional leaders. And he's going to be the Team USA head coach, I think, in part for that reason. The biggest issue that I have with Kerr is, and also I think their defense has been really good this year. Again, that's fallen off a little bit now without Draymond. But just continuing a theme, he's just never doesn't matter who's on the team like i think they have good enough personnel particularly because they don't play a traditional big on their second unit they just can never get a respectable offense without steph curry on the floor it just never happens every single year yeah that's uh that's an issue i I mean i would say obviously there's been some talent reasons for that along along the way but there there should like this year's team probably should have enough talent to be an okay offense when steph is off the floor right so yeah particularly because it's not like you know you're playing some big defensive five who's clogging the space and you know they got nemanja bielitsa as the backup center a lot of the way so i think that they and jordan Poole is a guy who has some talent as well and it's been difficult trying to reintegrate clay back in they've had some issues there but you know i think this beautiful game stuff that is so difficult to guard when Steph is out there, he just has not been able to really transition. You know, back in 1920, really wasn't able to use D'Angelo Russell in the best way. Russell wasn't a great fit for what they're doing. Yeah, but I think, I, I, think just, th- yeah. I think that was actually 2020. <laughs> what did I say it was? 1920. <laughs> oh, oh, the 2019-20 season is, is what I was referring to. Oh, but okay. yeah, okay. yeah, it, it feels like 100 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. All right, maybe, maybe I don't actually know what it's like to be you uh, after all. <laughs> uh, too, too much Folgers in the hotel room. Yeah, for, sorry, for our, our listeners could not hear the hyphen. <laughs> so uh, that would be my one concern with him. I wouldn't say any of these guys are perfect. I had Ty Lue at number five. Okay. Um, and again, we're splitting hairs. If you want to tell me Ty Lue is a better coach than Steve Kerr, I, I wouldn't argue with you too vociferously. I remember after college, before I was going to move on to the next chapter of my life, my buddy and I went to Hilton Head, South Carolina to work some summer jobs and hang out. We had a great time, except for his car. His car was awful. We called it the POS. It was like a 91 Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra. We're allowed to talk about Oldsmobile now that it's a defunct brand, right? Is that okay? This thing had the turning radius of a World War One battleship, broke down all the time, just a, a miserable vehicle to drive. And when customers are rushing to your store, you want a point of sale system that you can trust, not a real POS like my buddy's car. You need Shopify for retail. It makes it easy to accept payments, manage orders, and build relationships with customers. You can sell in person, backed by everything that you need to sell online, track every sale across your business in one place, know exactly what's in stock, connect with customers in line and online. You can drive in-person store traffic with plug-and-play tools for marketing campaigns on social media. Get great hardware that fits your business, accept credit cards, mobile payments, every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing starting on day one. Plus, their award-winning help is there to support you every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash PER. All lowercase, easy to remember slash PER because John invented PER. Go to shopify.com slash PER to take your retail business to the next level. Today, that's shopify.com slash PER. Here's what I have at my number six, though. I think this one 
We'll okay. see. I try to get out ahead of some of these. Okay. Taylor Jenkins is my number six. Coach. Okay. So I had him. I couldn't quite promote him in the, into this tier without seeing him in a playoff series. Yeah. I mean, I, we so- did last year. I thought they, given who was available, I thought they were respectable against the Jazz last year, if not amazing. They like they they were. I mean, there was honestly there was way too much Grayson Allen going on. Um, That's true. Actually, I think I think taking the Grayson Allen club out of the bag by trading him to <laughs> Jenkins' mentor Mike Budenholzer in in Milwaukee was a low key a pretty solid move by the front office in Memphis. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, so obviously he's done he's done a really good job of bringing all these young players along while still winning and. He's he's able he's very committed to playing ten guys. Like he'll even when they're very shorthanded, he'll he'll play that tenth guy some substantial minutes, even if it's Santi Aldama or Killian Tilly or yeah. whoever. Uh, which is you know every I'd say that's more a stylistic thing than a good or bad. But it certainly in the playoffs he he's going to need to cut that back to to fewer players. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does there. I, I don't know. I'm I'm really interested to see how he handles this team in a in a postseason because it is an unusual team on in a lot of respects. So and the expectations are obviously much higher this time around. Yeah, you know, as you say that, I think I'm going to move him down to the bottom of this group, which would be number okay. ten. We'll, we'll get to some of these other names, but yeah, not having proven in the playoffs. And there's, I just, I have a few concerns about how it's going to look in the playoffs. Just he's got a little bit of that Budenholzer rigidness, inflexibility to him, like never challenging. For example, is something that's it can be frustrating. Um, I still have to knock him down one peg just for the way when I was. It seemed like I was broadcasting every Memphis game in the bubble in 2020 for NBA League Pass. And he would, if they had like nobody available, but he would always call all of his timeouts down by like 12 in the last two minutes of the game, which <laughs> killed me. <laughs> And, and while I joke about that, and I've been doing, I was like, "Hey, like the game's over, let's get out of here." Yeah, uh, I need to watch all these other games. But that is just somewhat indicative of like a little bit of a weird inflexibility, not accepting reality. But you can't argue in the slightest with his regular season results, and they yeah. exceed expectations by a ton. I mean, to have them be, you know, the third best team in basketball, fourth best team in basketball. I know, like their over under was forty one this year. Yeah, you yeah, know? nobody, nobody, and, and I think coming. most people were taking the under, which I thought was crazy, but still. Uh, so I, I mean, he's done a great job. They've developed guys really well. He's just empowered young guys, found ways to use different personnel, playing fast, forcing turnovers. Uh, they kept it together after a really miserable start this year when they were thirtieth in defense. They stayed the course. They, yeah. you know, because they were experiencing some really bad shot luck from uh, opponents. They've had. Dylan Brooks out for you know, more than half the year with the various injuries as well. Um, the way that they have kept it afloat when John Morant has missed time the last two years has also been incredibly impressive. Yeah, absolutely. They went 10 and two in that stretch without Ja this year. Yeah. yeah. And even last year when they had a worse team, I think they were 500 or when he missed a bunch of time. So yeah, but, but you're right. I mean, without having seen him in the playoffs, you just can't, I, I can't get him at number six. That's too high. So Who else do we need to talk about in this group? My number six, uh, I think I moved this guy up from the last time we did it, and I think there's a good reason to move this guy up. Uh, Mike Budenholzer. Yeah, I had him right squarely in this group as well. I'm, I think he did show some growth the last year in the playoffs, as I think you're about to allude to. Exactly. Yes. Did he do? Did he do everything that people might have wanted? 
Probably not. Did he show much more adaptability, though? Yes. And he used the regular season as much more of a testing ground for different concepts and then was able to em- employ them in the in the postseason. Now, is he still number six if Kevin Durant's foot is a size smaller? Uh, you know, that's an interesting... Is he still the coach of the Bucks <laughs> for that matter? Um, uh, very unlikely. I mean, I think yeah. pretty much all reporting indicated that he would not have been. Yeah. And, and, and they were... I mean, let's be clear... There's so much revisionist history comes when you win the championship. We've many people have talked about Phoenix's path last year being easy. I mean, the Bucks' path was now they completely throttled a pretty good Miami team in the first round. I'll give them credit there, but they absolutely should have lost Brooklyn. They were not ready to play those first two games in Brooklyn, and they bear not only the KD shot, but you know Drew Holiday hits a shot to put him up one at the end of game three with like 12 seconds to go like they should have that was the big yeah that was the big one you're right and then Kyrie sprains his ankle and Harden was they did the Nets didn't have Jeff Green either and the Bucks were fully healthy in that series not forgetting any injuries that they had right no they other other than DiVincenzo was the only one who was out yeah that that would have been disgraceful if Milwaukee had lost that series I, I think that's fair so, and yes, I agree. You know, they went to more Giannis at center. They switched more. That worked pretty well. I also, you know, the last two regular seasons have been pretty disappointing, actually, I would say. Not that, I mean, they probably put too much effort into the regular season the years before that. It's they're trying to establish, get be, getting a culture and, you know, being the number one seed and all that. So I'm not going to ding them too much. But they've kind of, you know, th- this regular season, they've been largely healthy other than Brooke Lopez and probably should be better. You know, I don't think they're really like they've got the ability to experiment now down. I don't. It's been a little disappointing of a regular season for me. So I don't know. Let Let's see with Bud. I you know he, he could be. He wouldn't have been unemployed. He probably would have been in like Indiana or somewhere. But I'm. Uh, I feel a little queasy about having him at number six. Okay. Who? But even though that's where I put him too. But I. Oh, that is where you put him. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I still. It's still another one as we talk through it. I'm kind of like, it's a, it's a, it feels like a probationary six, right? Yeah, I'm very interested to see what happens this year's playoffs. Like, if they roll through the playoffs, they win the championship again this year. Okay, put them in the top five, easy, you know. But I, I'm not sure that they're going to get there. We'll see. Yeah. Anybody else you had in this group? So I had two other guys in this group. Oh, oh but quickly, where did you have Jenkins? Oh, I had him ninth. I had him at ninth. the top okay. of my next tier. Okay. So the two other guys I have in this tier are Quinn Snyder with Utah. Yep, I got him right here too, number seven. I had him number seven. Very, very effective over a number of years. Uh, these playoff exits the last two years have not been perhaps his finest moment. Um, he, although no. he's done well in other playoff series, right? The Oklahoma City series from three years ago, for instance. And so he 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 has those accomplishments in his background, but he just hasn't taken his team farther than the second round yet. And... Like they've been, you can argue they haven't had elite, elite talent, but like they've been a pretty good team. So at at some point you expect them to break through somehow, and they they really haven't. I mean they they have some some weaknesses in how they're built that maybe impacts that. But you wonder if they could be doing more scheme wise to uh, stay more solid, um, especially on the defensive end, maybe playing more zones uh, or trying some other things. Yeah, they've tried to do a little bit more this year to make up for some of their personnel limitations staying in front of guys on the perimeter. I'm not really sure what else they could have done when the other team was playing five out and just blowing by you every time. And also the Clippers hit every shot in that series. 
Utah also was not healthy. Yes, Kawhi was out, but also, you know, Mitchell was very limited and Mike Conley played one game yeah. in that series. I think Quinn Snyder to me is right up there as a regular season coach. I'm not sure how amazing he is at the whole emotional aspect. You know, there have been a lot of rumblings out of there of guys not getting along and you know there could be some prickly personalities to be sure but i'm not sure how well he manages that aspect of things but in the regular he may also just be a victim of being such a good coach in the regular season that the expectations go way up in the playoffs and they're just they just don't have that good a talent yeah that that could surely be the case um but you know he's shown the ability to win with the defensive style win with an offensive style gets a lot out of Rudy Gobert. I mean, I think they've they've got a lot of like little subtle things that they do as a coaching staff that work pretty well. So I think writing this group is fine for me. Uh, you know, their development has been solid, I would say. They got Royce O'Neal, but they've, they've kind of moved away from developing other young players lately. They've traded some draft picks away. Uh, so I think this is a, a fair range for him. I think if we were just talking regular season coaches, he's probably in my top five. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Uh, who else you got here Let's so I have, do one I, more. I have one more coach in this tier um which i is a little weird to me like a lot of times in the regular season i think maybe this guy isn't that great but he's so damn good in the playoffs rick carlisle like he's so good in the postseason that i just felt like i had to i had to at least keep him here yeah he was the guy i was alluding to when i said you'd rather have him in the playoffs like if you just could just teleport him in for a playoff series some of the adjustments that he made in that Clippers series were awesome. We alluded to them when we were talking about Lou earlier. I just had to move him down into a lower tier because I don't know. He's just kind of an asshole. <laughs> like he really, I, no, he, 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 he can wear on people. Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, he, he's, he's he tried, had to tried, leave and then trying to call every play. I, th- yeah. I think is like, come on. Yeah. Never running is a huge blind spot for him as well. But, and basically every single team he's ever at, like, I was very interested to see if they would run more in Indiana, and they really haven't done that. They were Indiana. The one thing that they did do well under Nate Bjorkren, RIP, is run more, and they were pretty effective in transition. And Rick Carlisle immediately put the kibosh on that. You thought, okay, well, they got this big point guard in Luca, or they've had Dirk for a while, the veteran team, and so maybe it was just he thought running didn't fit the personnel. But no, it's actually him being kind of a control freak and not really yeah. pushing the ball in transition. But I, I think it's it's really. It just comes down to the emotional side for me. I mean, you've got a generational basketball player, the guy that we think is probably going to be the best player the next 15 years, and you didn't manage to stay on that guy's good side and you had to leave because you thought you were probably going to get fired the next year. Like, that's that's a big blind spot. That's a problem. Yeah, yeah. Where where did you have him? I had him 12th in this in the next group mm-hmm. where, again, like if you wanted to just say, hey, teleport this guy in to coach my team in the playoffs – yeah top five easily i also i mean when's the last time a rick carlisle team exceeded expectations in the regular season huh it's been quite some time maybe 20 2015 2014 last year's Mavs, i guess didn't really exceed right no i think Um, they're about the same i guess they exceeded expectations because luca was so good in 2019 20 (laughs) (laughs) but but uh so so that's probably the one year that that you could point to and some of these years they just weren't that good they ended up tanking they've i mean he's also had a number of teams that have really underperformed their point differential recently like this year's pacers were that even 
back when they were trying and yeah he's had yeah. a bunch of injuries there's some excuses but I, you know i think you'd be hard pressed to put him in as a top 10 regular season coach compared to the talent that he's had over the last 10 years or so oh, i think he is definitely not a top 10 regular season coach yeah so so i, I think i i, yeah. I might i might have been a reach for me to put him at eight just just based on playoffs you still have to get i, there. I had him way higher last year honestly and i think just the the way things fell apart from an emotional standpoint like he did exactly what i thought he was going to do in the playoffs last year i thought he was unbelievable but then i mean to just for them to have to or him to move on from them because it probably was going to happen to him early this season if things didn't go well and then you know i to say that he, he hasn't exactly covered himself in glory in indiana this year either so that's why i went a, lo- a little bit lower uh, on him when you're talking about a random team and you know Kristaps porzingis wasn't happy under him either i mean the whole vibe in dallas was atrocious last year and that's they brought in jason kidd to fix that uh also i mean another thing too was that you know rick carly clearly didn't get along with his assistant jamal mosley that they're he you know going out of his way to endorse jason kidd rather than mosley yeah as well that they're thought like mosley was angling for his job and like i mean that's you shouldn't have that kind of a disconnect with your assistants you don't hear about that sort of thing with most quality coaches so again just we talk so much about how important the emotional aspect of coaching is when players have power and if you're going to give credence to that i think you really just got to move rick down um from where he was last year for me but so we've pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks then there are drinks from mcdonald's Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Done my entire tier two. Is there anyone in your tier two that we haven't discussed yet? Yes, there are two. And I finally come around on this guy after what happened when Murray went down last year. And then playing basically this whole season without Porter and Murray, and that's Michael Malone. Wow, wow, we are in a brave new world now. I think you ended up with Malone higher than higher than me. Where'd you, where'd you end up with Malone at? Uh, I had him at eight. At wow, the, the bottom of this group. Wow, oh wow, okay, I had him at eleven. Well, I mean that's pretty close, right? Finally, some respect for Michael Malone. This is a beautiful yeah. day here. <laughs> So I, I think that from an emotional standpoint, one of the best coaches, to be sure, his teams, to me, have overperformed on defense long enough now with Nikola Jokic at center and really not unbelievable personnel around him that to be average or usually slightly above on defense is pretty good. I think these just continued to manage Jokic. It could be a difficult personality at times. I think you, some of the technicals and euro files losing his composure i think he's yeah. encouraged him to get into better and better shape uh, this is Jokic's best defensive year to me by far and yeah i think you know if you have to say who's responsible for the nugget success it's Nikola Jokic. but i think the way that michael malone has helped to steward Jokic into the leader of that franchise it has been really important and you know i don't know that he is the like absolute best playoff coach at this point in terms of adjustments and stuff like that but they did beat portland last year they really outperformed them but i think just as a an emotional leader 
and regular season coach. He fits right in this range to me. Yeah, and the last three years now, they've won three, or the last two years, they won three pl- different playoff series that they probably shouldn't have won on paper, right? When you look at Utah, you look at Clippers, and you look at Portland last year. Yeah, and they did, I thought they did underperform in 2019, but I think the results after that have been enough to outpace that. And of course, they always seem to have a, a pretty good regular season. And then the last guy that I have in this group, I'm still not going to blame Frank Vogel for what's happened with the Lakers this year. I still have him at number nine. And frankly, for the Lakers to be about average on defense this season with this roster is, I would consider that quite an accomplishment, honestly. I put Frank Vogel 12th. I I wasn't, I I struggled with that. I I wasn't totally sure where in this kind of, mid-range, I would say, uh, tier two into tier three was the right spot for him. But I, I generally agree. I mean, his the, he made some pretty good adjustments in that title run in terms of oh, yeah. springing, those, springing those traps on James Harden and Damian Lillard and really, really having a good scheme behind it where it wasn't just random kitchen sink defense. Like there was a, there was a strategy behind it and players were rotating to, to spots like with with clear intent and knowledge of like this was the system and what it was going to be so i thought that was pretty impressive yeah and jason kidd who's going to come up later and he's going to be a tough guy to rank but i think clearly jason kidd learned a lot under frank vogel and i think frank vogel still is one of the best defensive coaches he's done a good job of getting these guys to run as well and yes the lakers have really disappointed this year yes his job was in jeopardy which i thought was pretty ridiculous although i think sanity seems to have prevailed there For now you know and he's even going with the only way they can really exist this year is playing lebron at center they've had to do that and he's at least gotten lebron to be willing to do that to some degree although lebron still doesn't guard the center that much and he has a lot on his plate of course as well but i think uh i'm just i'm not willing to move vogel that far down due to this complete shit show of a season that is entirely not his fault yeah i think that's fair i i had him 12th and i'm wondering if i had him too low well so who did you have then in kind of your eight to ten range i know you started a new tier around so i i had carlisle eight that's right okay taylor jenkins nine i had michael malone 11 and frank vogel 12 the guy i had at number 10 i might i might be too high on him here we go this is a wild card out of left field Ooh. Uh, Ime Udoka. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, I had him in the this next tier of guys in like, I had a 11 to probably 20. Right. Uh, I think that, that that's reasonable. I've been very impressed by him. He held it together early on when there's all these trade rumors about Jalen Brown, et cetera. Their defense has been quite innovative. I think he's take taken what Brad Stevens was doing and built on that. You know, I don't know how awesome their offense is. You know, the players do seem pretty happy under him. But just being a rookie head coach, it's hard for me to get someone. I, I guess I did have Steve Nash like in this range last year. And I'm not going to yeah. lower him too much this year either. Um, although, as I think we talked about in Spotify Greenroom today, he may miss Mike D'Antoni a little bit this year. So, But it's just it's tough for me to get a guy who hasn't done it in the playoffs yet into the top 10. Yeah, that would be the that would be the one misgiving. So I, I I'm I'm betting on the come here a little bit, right? Yeah, no, I I understand that, and they've been really good this year, so that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I I think he very easily could be in the top ten 
next year. But also, you know, where would you have had Ime Udoka two months ago? Not in the top ten. But I just think, you know, the he that switching scheme had a lot of problems in the beginning of the year, and he just stayed with it and got it to work, and now they're awesome at it. No, I, I agree. I am. It looked really good last night against Atlanta. Like I've, I think his rotations have been pretty solid recently. Plus, so. can we can we talk about the real reason to rank him so highly? His Four beard? assistant coaches from Portland, Oregon. <laughs> you know, I had a very controversial take on Twitter. A, a lot of people were just crapping on me over this, but I think these people just haven't spent enough time in Portland. When CJ got traded from Portland to New Orleans, I asked whether he had upgraded as a food city or not. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, obviously New Orleans is way better. I I will honestly say if I had to live in either Portland or New Orleans for a food standpoint, I probably would pick Portland. Uh, I would. I mean, I have pretty deep familiarity with both cities. I lived in Portland and my wife is from New Orleans and I would probably go with so for a weekend i would probably go new orleans but like to for like kind of day-to-day variety and like consistent kind of find little new places all the time and stuff i would probably go portland it's a great food scene there yeah and i mean just in terms of diversity like there's really not much great asian food in new orleans it's kind of it's a little bit more one note and that one note is amazing and yeah I mean, and I lived in New Orleans. I spent a lot of time in Portland going to like Nike stuff for the Hoop Summit or whatever. So I'm pretty familiar with both cities. And yeah, I would probably pick Portland also just due to the diversity of it. And anyway, that's a a little bit of an aside, but I wanted to get there. Portland probably has better coffee. I'm sure you're... (laughs) Portland definitely has better coffee. Yeah, that's a concern for you as well. Um, Okay, let's do like two more here before we have to wrap up. Okay, I had two guys who are going to be a little controversial. They're a little tough to rank. I I still had to give them respect for their accomplishments. Uh, so I had them, like, in this tier below Frank Vogel, I had Greg Popovich and Doc Rivers. Let's talk about Popovich first. I can't stay there with him anymore. I just, it, it's been a long time, really probably since 2019, that I think his team has been particularly impressive in the regular season. Their defense is surprisingly bad this year i think they actually have better defensive talent than what they've shown i expected them to be a really good defense they've been better offensively than yeah. i might have expected yeah and they do they do they're up at the top of the nba in assists you know i think they've given the personnel available they've exceeded expectations of offense i also really have concerns about popovich as a late game coach at this point in time uh with some of the stuff of just like when to foul and not foul down the end of the game and and uh, I, I think that's going back to even the end of that 2019 series against Denver. That's been a concern yeah. for me. I just, I, I think he's started to lose the fastball a little bit. Um, this isn't necessarily part of this ranking. I don't think he was like unbelievable for Team USA the last couple of times as well. So I'm certainly one of the best coaches of all time. But I, I think based on where they've been in the regular season, I've, I had him 23rd. Wow. Okay. And, and now, and I will say again, this is, we didn't say this at the beginning, but I think this is the best NBA coaching basically has ever been. I mean, there's really, there's nobody to me on this list where I'm just like, this guy is truly awful. I mean, there's one, but uh, they're just, I think everybody, you can point to some positive things about basically everyone on this list. And I think it's just a lot of these new guys who've come in. I mean, I think I would, you know, if you ask me, uh, you know, Mark Dagnall. Yeah. Or Willie Green or Chris Finch 
versus Greg Popovich, I'm sorry, I would rather have any of those guys coaching my team than Greg Popovich right now. And then you also throw in that it's for the next four years. I mean, obviously Pop will retire, we think. Yeah. But, you know, if you yeah. could just but if you could just take this Greg Popovich and just have him coach the team for the next four years, I'm I, I yeah, I, I just think he's he's fallen off some. Like I just haven't been that impressed by what they've been able to do the last two, three years. But it's really more a statement of I really am very high on a lot of these young coaches who've come in this year and last year. Okay. What do, what do you think about Doc? I had him at 13th. I still think he's a very solid regular season coach as he was last year. I think they've exceeded expectations this year. I think that one of the best things that he's been able to do is get a lot out of stars like Joel Embiid. Having his two best years under Doc I think makes a lot of sense and that is the case when he came to the Clippers also but holy I mean the two weaknesses number one I think he doesn't play that modern of a style and number two I mean these playoff collapses just keep happening yes and the you know the I think a a little too wedded to certain lineup combinations right not kind of going out of the box I mean certainly he was he kept playing big and that with the Clippers when I think they could have played small in that Denver series, right? And yeah. I, I mean, also his comments in the media, like, yes, Ben Simmons is extremely fragile, but, but he back, managed to back say in the, that really pissed off Ben Simmons. Back in the truck over Simmons after that was a big mistake. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, and and his explanation for that was not particularly compelling. If you listen to the whole audio, yes. I mean, just saying, hey, I don't know whether he could be a championship point guard or not. I mean, that's not the worst thing in the world to say, but you can, I mean, just say... Yes, I absolutely. I still believe in Ben Simmons. Just fucking say yeah. that. It's not that hard. <laughs> exactly. For his trade value, if nothing else. Yeah. I, I mean, and you know, I'm sure he was pissed off at Simmons where he, I'm sure he realized that he coddled him all season and he still sucked in the playoffs and he maybe felt like, all right, I'm frustrated with this. Maybe I'll try a different approach, a little more tough love, whatever. But uh, that really put, and obviously Joel, his comments didn't help either. But that just put the organization in a bad spot with regard to Simmons' trade and trade demand. Even if they were going to get rid of the guy, like just lie and pump him up as much as you can until that point. So I, I mean, you know, the three-one collapse against the Nuggets the year before. It just, it really seems like he, whether it's emotional, whether it's strategic. I, I mean, he'll kind of, he has this pattern, I think, where he'll not make the adjustment and then suddenly realize that they're in deep shit and it's not working and then he'll just start throwing shit at the wall in like kind of a crazy way and yeah. you know that's kind of what it felt like at the end of that clipper series and that maybe imparts a, a feeling of panic to the team so he would if we were just ranking playoff coaches i think i would probably have to put him in the bottom 10 at this point if we're gonna rank regular season coaches he's probably in the top 10 that seems about right okay so yeah we so we agree on doc then because we i mean we're 13 and 14 basically uh so yeah. i th- i think there's i'm trying to keep track here i think there's maybe one other guy in your top dozen that we haven't talked about uh yeah and that's steve nash who okay i ranked i think number nine last year i thought he coached a pretty good playoffs last year i think that we talked about how doc went through a frustrating situation and kind of lost his cool after the simmons thing for steve nash to have not just completely lost it at this Kyrie Irving situation I think he's still done <laughs> he's done a pretty good job of being an emotional yeah. leader players like to play for him. Mm-hmm. guys like Patty Mills came there Goran Dragic just came there because of his relationship with Nash KD and Kyrie still seem pretty bought in with Steve Nash as well I, I gotta give him 
plenty of credit for just being willing to straight up lie about that they're not going to trade James Harden. <laughs> like, I mean, to just that was fun, I, right? I, I mean, I, like, I, like people might be mad at him for that, and you know, the media people, like, and yeah, he has a lot of egg on his face after that. But I mean, they got a better deal, maybe because they were actually willing to put that leverage out there publicly. And I mean, there's no reason not to just straight up lie to the media. Just go for it. And I think, yes, I, they've, he's struggled some more with lineup combinations. I would struggle with the lineup combinations with the players they've had available mm-hmm. this season. Uh, but I thought really the way that he brought everyone together last year, I thought he coached a really good series against Milwaukee last year. There is the one thing I might say about him. I mean, he's still pretty inexperienced, but also there is a little bit of the players maybe just running things. And I think maybe he needs to needed to reach Kevin Durant and James Harden to say, hey, guys, you yeah. can't just play 48 minutes every single game in the playoffs. Like, we need to rest you for at least a little bit, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, that, that's a quibble. I, I'm guessing you probably think I have Steve too high here, though. I had him 16th. Like, I, I, it's like, I think reasonable people could disagree. Like, he had a pretty good playoffs last year. Yeah. yeah. I like the way, the way Harden just decided he was peace out was like that, that makes you wonder a little bit about what's going on over there. Yeah. I, again, I mean, this, I think what's going on is that Kyrie Irving is insane and Steve is just has to handle that. Yeah. Um, And and again, this is, I have Steve at 11, but in a tier from 11 to 20. So this is, I had to put somebody there and I think, you know, we'll get to some of the other names in this next time, but I I think, you know, I'm I'm not going to say, Hey, I'm going to die on this hill that Steve Nash, the 11th best coach in the NBA and rather than being 16. All right. Well, this was fun. We'll get to the second part of this. Next week, we'll talk about some of the hardest to rank, try to get some categories for, you know, best developmental coach, best playoff coach, all that, see who's risen, who's fallen, and get to somebody's going to have to be 29th and 30th. Uh, I'll be interested to see who who you think that is. But uh, we'll get to that next week. Thanks for joining us and subscribe to the show. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.